Knack knack. Who's there? Uh, yeah, I'd rather not share that with you. Hey, no sweat. Come on in. Make yourself at home and take anything you want. Wait, you wouldn't let a stranger in your house. Why would you let anonymous traffic scrape your website? Introducing IP Info's Privacy Detection API, a fast and simple way to detect malicious traffic. Activate your free trial today at ipinfo.io and don't forget to use the promo code CODESTORY at checkout. The most important thing that I've realized, and it's the hardest thing to overcome if there's a team member not pulling their weight. And so I'm, I'm really proud of the team that we've, we've built now, but we've definitely had a lot of missteps along the way. My biggest learning and takeaway over hiring several thousand people now, experience is overrated and hire for culture fit and everything else kind of falls in line. So are, are, they, are they hungry? Are they willing to learn? And if the answer is yes, like I'll take that, that individual any day over somebody that is not open to new ideas, not, not open to change. My name is Nathan Yap, and I'm the founder and CEO of Support Zebra. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lampart, and today how Nathan Yap created the service to support your growing company with iconic customer service. All this and more on Code Story. Nathan Yap has a tight-knit family that he spends a lot of time with, so traveling and enjoying good food with his family is winning to him. Outside of that, he enjoys the pickleball craze, and he was heading into his first tournament at the time of this recording. He also loves to ski as well, and mentions really enjoying Crested Butte and Vail. Prior to his current venture, Nathan was importing coconut water from the Philippines. At scale, the company had an office in the Philippines handling the back office work. They eventually sold that company, but during its lifetime, they took on other customers to help with support and found a nice formula for building these teams. This is the creation story of Support Zebra. Support Zebra does white glove outsourced customer service for fast growing SaaS and e-commerce companies. And so it didn't always start that way. And so I think we'll get into kind of how we started in our, in our very humble beginnings. But when, when clients come to us, they come to us because they're, they're lost. They don't know how to manage scaling, like drowning in tech tickets and, and phone calls. And so we approach everything like a, like a consulting project. In fact, a lot of our onboarding specialists are former Accenture project managers. So we come in, they audit all the existing processes, documentation, KPIs, metrics, all of that. And then we work with the client to, to partner up and figure out exactly what they want, scope it out, and then literally build a customer, a white glove customer service program from scratch, including your playbooks, your metrics, your processes, checklists. We'll put everything in a learning management system. We'll, we'll, we'll record and create content. Not only that, we will then define what your target avatar for hiring is, hire, and then most importantly, we will manage. So we, we have a really strong family culture, and so we will manage and, and ensure performance. And then when they're not, when when teams are not performing, we will coach them up or or replace team members to the point where both parties are, where our clients are happy. So I wish we had, like, we, we were super 
purposeful, like, oh, we were, we're going to get into outsourcing, but we, we, we kind of fell into the industry by accident. Prior to starting Support Zebra, we had uh, imported coconut water from the Philippines. Uh, my, my family's from the Philippines, so have a lot of family and friends and a, and a large network in the Philippines, but we used to import coconut water into the U.S., got it to scale, and we had an office in the Philippines that do a lot of our back office, so like polling retail points of sale, how are we doing, what's our marketing support like, and when we ended up selling that business, throughout that, we just had friends and family say, hey, can you add five people here or ten people here, and so in the early days, anybody that needed outsourcing and that would give us money, we would we would take them on as a customer. I think we've, we've definitely narrowed down our focus exclusively on, on SaaS and e-commerce, and we go really deep in those verticals. But early on, we had anybody that would give me money, we, we would take on as, on as a customer. Let's dive into the MVP, those early days. So when you're taking on customers, right, maybe it's with, you know, maybe it's a little bit bled into the coconut water. You tell me, but... Tell me about the MVP of Support Zebra. How long did it take you to build? And what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So it's a little bit different in a SaaS model that our product is our people. I think our MVP was, is very physical in that sense. So our, our MVP was literally signing a lease for a 20-seat office. We built out the cubicle. I remember we, we asked the hospital across the street to tap into their power so that we, we didn't have to buy or spend money for a big generator because we need it. we're mission critical, so we need to have backup internet and power. It included operations manager and then our initial team. So that's essentially our, our MVP. So okay, when you're when you're building an MVP, whether it's you know whether it's SaaS or whether it's something more you know towards a, a team and a support system, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right, on in the short term about how you're going to approach that. I hear the story about the power, but tell me about some other ones you had to work through and and how you coped with those decisions. I think initially we didn't have the budget to compete with the big outsourcing companies that were in our city. So we had to get creative and do a lot of guerrilla marketing in terms of recruiting team members at scale. So initially, it's, we brought the initial team in and then we would hire their friends and their family and then referrals. But it got to the point where we had product market fit and we couldn't scale just within our referral network. And so we made friends with a uh, local DJ who's now who, who's still a uh, brand ambassador to this day he she shouted us out on his radio station a couple times a week we canvassed the malls and handing out flyers went to universities for kind of job like created our own job fairs for, for recruiting we even rented a well, we created our own zebra mobile that goes around blasting our support zebra jingle in like highly populated areas and handing out flyers for recruiting so I think we had to get creative where we didn't have the budget to, to spend on a, a large recruiting workforce. So, okay. So from that point then, how did you progress and mature support Zebra? And I'm, I'm curious, you know, to wrap that in a box a little bit, you know, really whether you're, you're SaaS or not, you, you're building a company roadmap or a, an execution roadmap. How did you go about that process and how did you decide, okay, this is the next most important thing for support Zebra? Man, we've been through so many iterations between our leadership and company strategy. I mean, we're, we're close to a thousand people now. I think initially there wasn't a lot of thought into what markets we want to go to and what industries we want to attack. 
we did see that outsourcing was increasing year over year and that all of the industry reports were very positive, had very positive outlooks on the growth prospects of outsourcing. And so we were a very general outsourcing provider early on. And we landed a couple clients, Athletic Greens being one of them, they just raised a, a unicorn round earlier this year um, that kind of became some marquee clients. And then when we looked at our, our client roster, we saw a huge concentration in SaaS and e-commerce. And so we decided to, to, to really double down and focus exclusively on that. And I think that's really helped us propel into the next kind of level and stage of growth. So let's switch to team, Nathan. So how do you go about building your team? How did you go about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? The most important thing that I've realized, and it's the hardest thing to overcome if there's a team member not pulling their weight. And so I'm, I'm really proud of the team that we've, we've built now, but we've definitely had a lot of missteps along the way. I think my biggest learning and takeaway over hiring several thousand people now in the 12 or 13 years that we've, we've, we've had Support Zebra is experience is overrated and hire for culture fit and everything else kind of falls in line. So are, are, they, are they hungry? Are they willing to learn? And if the answer is yes, like I'll take that, that individual any day over somebody that is not open to new ideas, not, not open to change. So, so that's how I approach kind of team building and team hiring mentioned a lot of the missteps on the long way. I think we've we cycled through a number of operations directors in short order. I think we had like three over the last five years that really prevented a lot of our growth because I wasn't confident in being able to deliver our, the solutions and services that we promised to our, to the clients that we, we, were, we were pitching to. On paper, everybody is essentially qualified. Like they've got the, the right work experience. They've got the the work history to lead the company where, where it needs to be. But I would focus even more so on culture and culture fit than I than I had, especially early on. I completely agree with that. If you've got somebody that's got this, the, the hunger, like the raw materials to become what you need them to be over, I've got this experience that is sort of applicable. You're going to win a million times over with the first one. Yeah. And do they care? And I don't feel like that can be taught or is an inherited trait. And so, yeah, that's, that's how we approach, approach hiring. Okay, let's talk about scalability then. It'll be interesting because there's a lot of uh, people, right, at the center of what you're doing. So how do you approach scalability? And, you know, have you, have you approached it scalably from the very beginning or have you fought this in any way as you've grown? My role has evolved drastically since when we started i think when we when we first started i was also a team lead sales lead main client liaison would handle hr issues and wore multiple hats was kind of the macgyver for any any fires that needed to be put out so now i think we've got strong key executives in each of the roles and i approach scale at what where where are we lacking and um we're to the point now and to the size now that it's not the best use of my time to, to individually quarterback a project myself. And so when there are new projects or new initiatives, we look at who is best to run that run point on that project. And if I don't have anybody in-house on the team, then who can we, who would be the best person to hire to bring on to lead that, that project? So that's how I approach scale and learned that the hard way, um, was definitely burnt out years four to six i was definitely burnt out having burned the midnight candle 
We have some accounts that are 24-7 support. So I remember having to wake up in the middle of the night for outages and downtime and other fires that, that need to be put out in addition to working like during the day as well. So not to have any semblance of work-life balance probably for the first five, six years. Uh, and it's only really been in the last couple of years that last probably three years that we've really leveled up our executive leadership team and our management where we've got systems, processes, backup plans, particularly around natural disasters, when there's flooding or long, heavy rains and monsoons are, are, are starting to become a lot more frequent now. And so those, those uh, BCP, the business continuity plans are, are, are um, battle tested. When I, when I was finally willing, finally ready to, to let go and not micromanage is where we, we made the most strides in, in, in being able to grow both top and bottom line. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built with Support Zebra, what are you most proud of? I think I'm most proud of the opportunities that we've been able to create for our team members that work for Support Zebra. And it, it has a, where, we, where we're headquartered in our main location at is where my parents grew up. So it's a location that is near and dear to our hearts and uh, where we, we really want to leave a positive impact in the community. That's actually one of our, our core values. I think that's what I'm most most proud of. We've, we're, we're one of the larger one of the larger employers in the city. I feel like we've created a lot of opportunity that that was not otherwise there. We have a lot of um, community building activities. We we, we sponsor um, and, and financially help an orphanage um, internally for the company. We've created a program called the Zeal. So a pack of zebras is called a Zeal. So the zeal is our internal version of make the our, our own internal Make-A-Wish program. So every quarter, anybody that wants that, that wants to participate writes a, a small, a short one to two paragraph request, and we try to grant as many requests as possible. I think last quarter was almost twenty something requests, and and ranging anywhere from a, a team member that. Their mom had had breast cancer and so requested a uh, set of mastectomy bras for her mom. And so we we granted that wish. 20 years ago, when him and his wife got married, they didn't have the funds and the budget to to pay for a wedding reception. So we did a uh, smaller, I think it's like 30 or 40 people dinner reception 20 20 years later. Kind of runs a gamut, but uh, something I think that means a ton to our team members and and something that we're, we're really proud of. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So first, I think high-level strategy. I think we were not very purposeful in the industries and the types of clients that we wanted to go after. I mentioned early on about taking on anybody that would would sign a contract and would give us money. Um, and so I think that lack of focus was very difficult for operations team to, to get a grip on. So we've got a client in e-commerce, we have a client in logistics, we have a client in wherever, and there's not really any best practice. There's not a lot of best practices aside from tech stack that we can take from one and improve and add value to the other. Now that we've exclusively focused on e-commerce and SaaS, there's a ton of learnings that whether it be tech stack or process or best practices that we, we were able to bring value across our whole client base, as opposed to it being a lot less valuable if we were in 20 different niches. I mentioned 
really screening for culture, reference checking. I, I know that we, it, we it's, it's easy to, to look at reference checks and, and take them for the word, but I remember we, we hired, and hired a, a manager where everything checked out on paper, everything looked like it was a, like, an, like an A player. And when we, we looked at the, the references and everything looked fine, but we didn't really dig into that. And then six months later, we saw some, some of the cracks start to open up and looking like it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the right fit. And we had another conversation with, with it. It was like, oh, and, and if we had dug in and, and been a lot more thorough, I'm, I'm pretty sure we would have caught things that, would have, that, that ended up coming up and bubbling up later. I would rather there be a gap in in a role, and we we wait on high. Like I'd rather not hire for a role than be rushed to to fill a fill a hire that is not a hundred percent culture fit. Uh, another mistake is the Philippines is is a super capable population, like very educated, very loyal, very hungry in, in wanting to kind of level up their their knowledge base and their skill sets, and so. Whenever we've got issues with clients and whether that's attrition or, or, or whatnot, it's never about capability. It's always about engagement. And so my role is to ensure that the team is engaged and the team is happy and we've got a good good work environment. But there, I remember just thinking there was a time where, where our attrition was, was increasing the wrong way and where, where I did not like it. And we kept throwing more money at the problem and that was not fixing things. And so. Um, there's a point where kind of like Maslow's hierarchy that I've learned that where after a certain point, money and salary is starts to become diminishing returns where more money doesn't necessarily move the needle. And so it was a it was a it was a wake up call for us that we, we really need to, to double down on our culture and make sure that we don't ha- we don't keep we don't keep toxic players that even though they're performing, we, we don't keep toxic team members because that's a, a ripple effect that we don't. We don't compromise on culture, and that we we really want to, we really need to focus on ensuring that our culture is strong and that our, our work environment is is a fun is a fun place to be. Well, this will be fun to ask Nathan. So, what does the future look like for Support Zebra? Uh, I'm really excited about the future. We've we've got leaders that I'm uh, we, we we can't announce yet, but that are that are coming on board that I think will help get us to that next level. SaaS and e-commerce are going to be, for sure, even with kind of the recessionary headwinds, are are going to be a, it's, it's an ever-increasing industry. And so I think there's a huge amount of opportunity for Support Zebra to really capitalize on that. And even now we're seeing in the U.S. that the, the, the difficulty in hiring some more junior team members, entry-level folks, it's, it's very difficult to, to hire here in the U.S., those same struggles are being felt in Canada and UK and Australia. And so I think we've, we've got a huge opportunity right in front of us to, to capitalize on. And so um, we have we have big plans for support. So we're at roughly a thousand headcount now. And, and the goal for next year is to, to double that. Let's switch to you, Nathan. Who influences the way that you work? Name someone you look up to or many persons or something you look up to and why. Well, I think surrounding myself with like-minded entrepreneurs and business owners and, and mentors has been instrumental in in the growth so far. So I'm, I'm very involved in entrepreneurs organization in EO. I think in Houston, there's 200 something members, but everybody is broken up into what we call forums. It's seven to eight people, all founders and entrepreneurs themselves, all from non-competing industries so that everybody can share pretty freely. Just learning from 
all of their experiences, even in kind of completely unrelated industries, has been a huge help for me. I started the company when I was 24, and so I didn't have a lot of peers that I could kind of share battle stories with or kind of company problems and, and uh, growing pains with. And so um, I think EO and my involvement with the forum, who have now become some of my closest friends, has been was a, was a huge learning point and inflection point for me. So not so much like individuals, but like the, the group as a whole. Okay, Nathan, we talked about a mistake earlier. But and, and you talked about a, a handful of mistakes. This is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I would pick a very specific niche and go super, super deep in that niche. And there's, I think the problem with outsourcing is that anything can be outsourced. Accounting, finance, video editing, graphic design, customer service. Like there's so many different facets of outsourcing. And so I would pick one niche and then I would be maniacal about only focusing on that niche going after those target accounts and then driving the most value I can to that one specific niche as opposed to what we did was initially probably 10 different industries that we 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 supported so I think that would be one of the things that I would I would do much differently early on okay Nathan last question So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think my advice to that entrepreneur would be once you have the revenues and the profits to support it, spend as much time as possible getting in front of and meeting industry leaders in your space and hiring the absolute best leadership team that you can afford and then setting the long-term vision and strategy making sure everybody is aligned on those goals and 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 strategy and then getting out of the way i think i was definitely way too in the weeds for early on i I think one of the books i've recently read over the last couple years is who not how so not how am i going to do this but who can help me Who can help the company solve this particular problem, whether it be HR or sales or marketing? In a nutshell, work on and relentlessly look at hiring the the best people and the best leaders you can find. And and that never stops. So as as the company grows and as the company scales, there's always going to be new opportunities and new roles. And so I think that uh, that's probably the most important value add activity that I spend my time on as, as founder. Nathan, thank you for being on the show today, and thank you for telling the creation story of Support Zero. Thank you for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.